Dismissed. Before we go to the Lord in prayer, I just want to encourage you again to one of the things that if you wonder um, in a way what is the leadership and even myself, what are we in a way calling you to do every Sunday and every week? One of it is obviously to gather together with us on Sunday. Another is for you not just to be only using Sunday as your learning. It's to be learning throughout the week, whether it's Bible studies at the church or whatever. We want you to be learners of the Word of God. And the last then is in serving, by pouring out what you have God has taught you into the lives of others. And uh, we are not naive to think that only ministry happens here at CBC. If you're not involved in ministry here, we would say get involved in a ministry that is pr- pushing the gospel to a lost and dying world. And so we'd love for you to minister with us here. We have um, needs. We always have needs, but also the Church Universal has them as well. And we want you to be active, being obedient. And so that's why we do things like fairs, even though there's no popcorn, overpriced food, or anything else back there. This is what we call a fair. So uh, let's pray and dive into the text. Dearly Father, as we just reminded ourselves that there's a Redeemer and that is your Son, help us as we understand today again from this text that we desperately need a Redeemer, that we need our hearts and our minds redeemed by you. And as we look at the way that living in a sinful world impacts womanhood today, Dearly Father, give us eyes to see, help us to understand what you are telling us, and help us to live accordingly. In your Son's name we pray. Amen. One of the privileges I get as, uh, as a pastor, and the privilege I get here at CBC, is walking alongside of you guys through life. And as I walk alongside of you through life, I get to see the effects of sin in your lives. I get to be there while you're bringing a child into the world, and I get to be there while I help close your eyes in death, and all in between, and the issues that are there. And so when I come to this text... Even those about woman, and you're like, what does this guy know? I'm not identifying as one or anything else like that. I'm going to give you what the Word of God says. And as I do that, I want to let you know this comes from a, a shepherd's heart, not from a heart that says, you ladies are all the problem, because don't worry, tomorrow, next Sunday, come back for part two, where we'll find out the issues that men struggle with too. All right, so guys, I know you're here. This does not mean you coast. All right, we'll get to you next week, and if you're really, truly understanding God's call, you'll get why you're here too, because you have an encourager that you need to encourage to do these things well. And so, but I want to remind you, as the Word of God is being walked walked through today, I want to remind you what Hebrews 4.12 says, for the Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the divisions of the soul and spirit of joints and marrow, discerning the thoughts and intention of the heart, and no creature is hidden from its sight. But all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him who we must give an account. And may that be ringing in your ears for the next two weeks and for any after that. Because we're going to, by God's grace, just go right at it. We're going to call a spade a spade and work through what's going on around us. And so, as I've said in the past, and I'll say again, uh, the Word of God is an equal opportunity offender because it offends our sinful hearts. And when it starts to expose our sinful hearts, where we respond in two different ways. We can either respond in the obedient way or we can respond in a disobedient way and going, I don't want to deal with that and so I'll just ignore it. And that's one of the reasons why many of us don't go to the hospital, because if you go to the hospital, they always tell you bad news, all right? So if you don't go, you think everything's okay. But as we sit before the Word of God here, 
We're going to see in the next few weeks here what these verses say about our sin struggle and the sin consequences that each gender is going to face in a sinful world. As you live in the sinful world, here is the consequences, here are the issues. And if we miss the lessons taught here, if we miss them, we literally are missing the boat of a Christian worldview on gender. And what I mean by missing the boat, you are on the shore and you're not swimming across the ocean. You have missed it completely if you do not understand what we're talking about today. Not only this, you have missed the boat on raising the next generation for the glory of God. And I'll repeat that again. You will have missed the boat on raising the next generation for the glory of God because we did not come to this point in history. We did not come to this point in American history by accident. We have come to the point where we are right now because of the failure upon failure upon failure of previous generations to understand the sin struggles brought about on men, brought about on women. We have failed in communicating that to the next generation to where we get today that only a small contingent of Christianity even was willing to have these conversations, let alone say we're going to live accordingly to it. And so may I pray that as we go through this book of Genesis, we will lay across a line, a line in the sand that says, not this generation. We will teach the next generation what it means to be a godly man and a godly woman. We will hold the next generation to the biblical standards of those as well. Now, you may say, we're about ready to read the text here in a moment. You'll say, well, I'm, I'm, I'm not a mom, so I guess I don't have anything to say with this. This talks about childbearing and all these other things. I'm not a mom. It doesn't apply to me. Uh, but this is, I pray that when we're done this, you will understand this applies to every single person in the hearing of my voice. So uh, Sunday mornings, real quick, though, I have the privilege, and we started this, Catherine and I come early in the morning, and I preach to Catherine. So she's already heard this once. And when I got done, I said, well, was I too hard on women? And here's exactly what she said. Boy, Dad, I'm glad I'm a girl, not a woman. And I said, well, we missed it again, all right? <laughs> because you are, and you will be, all right? And so... May that not be said here. Again, the curse does not just fall on women who are pregnant or married. Its impact is on every woman and their relationships that they have with the other women, as well as the relationships they have with men and the relationships they have with children. And we need to remember Remember this. Let's go to our first statement and then we'll get to the text. Our first statement that we need to make sure we're clear on is in Genesis 2, 1 and 2, it is very clear that women were created to be Adam's helper and to be fruitful. These are their God-given things that they've been created to do, to help in the fruitful and multiply and filling the earth and to help Adam do what God has called him to do, to be that helper. And so we're going to see here in verse 16 and 17, curse on woman. So let's read Genesis 3, 16 and 17. To the woman, he said, God speaking, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he he shall rule over you. Notice again, we talked about this last week. We noticed we looked at the curse on the serpent. The curse on the serpent where God literally says, Cursed are you. To the serpent, he does not say that to Eve. He does not curse her individually. What he is going to do is he's going to now show 
Eve is not cursed. So like, it's not like women are cursed and men are not cursed. Right? None of the genders are cursed. What they are now is these genders are going to live as male and female in a sinful world with the impacts of sin poured out on them. The consequences of sin are going to be felt. Remember, God goes out of his way to talk to Satan, the serpent, and says, you are cursed. You are being selected out of all to be an understanding of what sin has brought into this world. Now he turns to the image bearers and says, here's what living in a sinful world is going to impact you and affect you. So we're going to see point number one, the consequences of sin with her children, as he speaks to the woman. The consequences of sin with her children. Now remember in verse 15, the woman has just heard that through her seed a deliverer will come. And this deliverer that's going to come is going to crush the head of the serpent. We're going to get vindication through the seed of the woman. But now the answer that is given, the answer given is exciting, but the price of this answer is now to be given. How is this seed going to come about? What is the price or what is the consequence of bringing this seed into the world? And notice it says the seed will come, but the consequences of bringing this seed are very important or laid out here. Notice this, you, I will multiply your pain and childbearing. This seed aspect is going to come with pain. But before we get to that, I want to pause here and go through a couple of things here to make sure we're understanding this. First, God is not a vindictive God. God is not a vindictive God. God is not sitting here and saying, you did, rebelled against me, well, I'm just going to stick it to you. He is not going out of his way to be vindictive in any way. God is not doing this because he has an uncontrolled anger problem that he's just ticked off and he's just living the rest of this time here going into you this and to you that. This is not, sadly, many in, in our worldly speaking, this is how we many times discipline our children because we're just ticked off at them. God is not doing this here. What we're seeing, though, is we're seeing God starts to establish a massive contrast in all of human history. We're going to see a massive contrast because what is interesting here and what we're going to start to see from this point on, Eve's life is going to be a life here on earth that James reminds us is a vapor. Her life is a vapor and the Bible is going to tell us in Lamentations and Ecclesiastes that it is going to be filled with tears. Your life is but a vapor filled with tears. Matthew Henry on these verses says in his commentary that womanhood is going to be in a state of constant sorrow. That women are going to be living in a state of constant sorrow, constant sorrow, and you would even call it grief as they go. So let's pause here in these great contra contrasts. What did she just live in? A spot of joy and peace and food and fulfillment. And she looked at that tree and said, I desire to have my eyes that's as light of her eyes. And what did we find? The desire and the light, delight of her eyes that she thought was going to bring joy has now been replaced with sorrow. If we don't sit here for a moment, uh, the first several parts of the sermon, you're going to go, boy, this is pretty dark, all right, as we walk through this. I pray that you understand how dark it really is. Because if you don't understand how dark it really is, the sorrow that is going to be now in womanhood, if we don't grasp that, we will not grasp the beauty of when the stars come out of God's grace for us to understand. Because all of us love to do this. We all love to hear, let's hear a little bit about how dark it's going to be, and then we'll forget that. I mean, most of us go like, don't tell me, I don't want to know too, the, too much of the bad news, because if you don't understand the bad news, you don't get the good news. 
And so as we walk through this, I want you to start to wrestle with this to go, boy, things are pretty bad. And I want you to go, yes, they are. This is why we need a Redeemer. This is why we need God's grace. And if we don't understand the darkness of it, we will not get the beauty of the light. Because if we don't understand the darkness of the sorrow that we live in now, we will never understand that the gift of eternal life is filled with everlasting joy and everlasting pleasure. If we don't understand the sorrow of this world, we will never understand the true, the true joy of heaven. So let's dive into this text that we talk about the pain in childbearing. We see here underneath that, as the text tells us, pain in childbearing. The process of having children is painful what I've been told. Not only physically painful at the moment, but also the wear and tear on a woman's body as she has children. This bringing the seed into the world is now going to be painful as well as cause the body to be a continual reminder of the children that she has brought into this world. According to Woman's Health, literally here's what they say in summary, the whole body experiences pain. The stretching, the cramping, the pressures, the tearing are all part of bringing a child into this world. And not only the moment of childbirth is painful, but if you could go back, all the different trimesters have their own joys and struggles along the way as well through giving birth to a child. And not only that, after the child comes into the world, because we live in a sinful world, women deal with things like postpartum depression and all the struggles that come with this. And we not only see just the natural pain that comes there, but I want to take a moment here. We're going to develop this even more. Look at the text very clearly with me. It says, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. We've just discussed that. In pain you shall bring forth children. This word bring forth children is very interesting here because we're going to see in our notes there, this is sorrow and even child rearing. So this idea of bringing forth children is the same thing that Adam, when the curse falls on him, as he has to bring forth crops. It is not just the putting the seed in the ground is the painful part. It's literally the whole process of growing food is going to be a painful, toiling thing. This is the same thing when it comes to women here as well. In pain you shall bring forth children. This idea, even in this pain, carries with it that word pain there is, is the idea of sorrow, labor, the idea of worry, the idea of toil, the idea of strain is all in this idea that not only is the act of having a child, but the whole child-rearing one is going to be one that is continual pain, continual sorrow, worry, and strain. Not only that, as you, we dive into this more, and you will see this all throughout the Bible, not only will you see the sorrow in child-rearing, you will first even see sorrow in child-bearing as a woman who is dealing with the sorrow of not being able to have a child. I think of the story of Hannah, how she would go and long to desire to have a child, but she was barren. And what are one of the effects of sin, barrenness in women, and the struggle that it comes with that? Not only that, as we dig into this even more, giving birth to a child in the world, the sorrow of giving birth to a child in the world that is filled with sin, Bring sadness and sorrow to a mother. The sheer fact that she knows that this child one day will die because she's giving birth to a child in a sinful world and the sorrow that comes. And even the sorrow that comes as she sees the effects of sin on her child. Notice what immediately after we get through this and Adam and Eve are kicked out, what story do we see happening next? Cain and Abel. And what happens in Cain and Abel is Eve gets to see the sorrow of raising children as one rises up in anger and kills the other. A mother 
mourning the loss of their child. Those tears, those cries of holding a child that is no longer living are deeper than anything else you can imagine. Seeing the effects of sin. Not only that, but the heartache and stress on the mother as she watches her child make poor decision after poor decision after poor decision. Listen to what the wisest man in the Bible says in Proverbs 17.25. It says, a foolish child brings grief to the father. And then it goes even deeper and says, but bitterness to the mother. This idea of watching a mother as she watches a, a mother watches her child make poor decision after poor decision. That grief, that anguish that is there, as some would say, only a mother can truly understand. And we see these impacts in our world, the pain, the sorrow of bringing forth children. Finally, not even as we were breaking down that word pain and sorrow, not only are we seeing the mother interacting with the children in a sinful world and the mother holding her child as a child has passed, but we see also, too, this worry that is given to them from the fall played out in other ways. Where so a mother starts to grasp how evil the world is around them, and so their sin nature is going to be one to smother their child and put as much protection as they can around them. We literally, they have names for these. We call them helicopter parents. A mother who sits over their child, making sure nothing is happening, and they're hovering over, ready to pounce. There's other phrases, too, as they continue on. They call them lawnmower parents, where literally the parent goes in front of the child, making sure there's nothing in front of them that the child would ever struggle and suffer with, and all of these other things are because they believe. At the heart there, they say, they know better than anything God, because they trust themselves. I'm going to cover my child in enough ways that they will never, ever hurt themselves again. It's interesting, as I have the privilege in my years of teaching to deal with many ladies and interacting with their children and watching these play out and watching the sin curse and their struggle with wanting to, we want to call it almost, hover over their children to make sure nothing bad happens to them. I've watched and sadly sometimes as it's been communicated to me, it seems that the greatest evil that ever happened to their child was when they were offered a non-certified organic carrot or they ate corn syrup while the child is sitting in the corner drinking in the filth of this world through media over and over and over again and they freak out that maybe they touched a fruit snack but we could care less about this. Now, I've had the opportunity of speaking at many camps. And you know what more families write into to camps about? It's not what Pastor Tim's talking about. It's what are you going to feed my kid? And the dietary needs far more than their spiritual needs. The consequences not only just fall in that way, but point number two, and we're going to get into it even greater, the consequences of sin with her relationship with her husband. Notice what the text says. I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. This word desire, it's the, it's the idea that the desire to rule your husband is where this plays out. The relationship struggle is now going to be real and majorly alive. 
The desire here, sometimes people get this mixed up. The desire is not meaning you're just going to love your husband like none other. All right, That is not at all what this is talking about. Your desire is going to be the one to take the place or the role in the relationship that God has given your husband. God has given the husband a role, but what the woman's desire is going to be is they're going to say, no, I want that role. This is mine to have, not his. So instead of embracing her God-given design and role, she will desire the opposite. She will say, I want his role, not my role. And so we see this played out all around us. This is something that is not new in our culture. And we see this, especially even now, where the modern woman is want to be seen as, or want to be even described as, as a rebellious woman. And now here's how they describe a modern rebellious woman. She is strong, whatever that means. She is brash. She is masculine. She is devoid of anything feminine, because at the end, she does not need to rely on anyone, especially a man. And so, the struggle is right in front of us. Notice what the text says. Not only is she going to have the struggle, but what does the text go on to say? And he shall rule over you. He shall rule over you, meaning he will literally have dominion over you. This ruling over women will bring about pain and struggle. Because here's what happens. Men have been given the strength. This is across the board. We don't not, I'm not even needing to debate this, that men have been given the strength all throughout history, and sadly, these men then rule as dictators over women. You can see this throughout all of history. From the very beginning until now, strong men have taken their strength and instead of protecting women, have exploited them. And one of the greatest genders that has been destroyed and exploited and been literally hurt all throughout history has been men hurting women. And so instead of using the strength to protect, they use the strength to harm. And trust me, guys, we will talk about that next week. And so what is the answer? What do we have in front of us? What is the answer to this painful struggle of women? Not only are you going to raise children in a sinful world, not only are you going to have the pain in childbearing, but you're going to have these desires, these sinful desires to rule, yet you will be ruled on, and you will be taken advantage of. You can just fill in the blank. So what is the answer? The answer to this painful struggle of women living in a sinful world, the world answers it like this and says to ladies, listen up, ladies, you can have it all. Women, you can do anything. Have a successful career, have a perfect family, have a perfect body, have a perfect home, have perfect kids. And that is a lie because what they're trying to tell you is you can be a man and you can be a woman all wrapped up in one. And all that is left in the wake is a bunch of women that are depressed and stressed with no fulfillment. And I would argue that is why if you look at ladies like this, they are angry and they are just ticked at the world around them because they know that everything the world has told them is not fulfilling them. And the answer then is, who do we blame? Men are the problem. And the answer is, as the world tells us, is women must be rulers of this world because who has messed it up? The men. And we live in a world that is confusing. And so now, the natural characteristics of masculinity, things like aggressive behavior and strength, these things by the ladies need to eliminate them. And so we need to eliminate them from men because what happens when men get the aggressive and the strength, what do they do? We'll talk about you guys next week. Trust me, we'll get to you. Yes? 
They use that strength and aggressive behavior to exploit the weaker sex. And what they do then is they push them down. And the weaker sex then says, what we're going to do is rebel against this and tell men these are bad characteristics. And so then generation after generation, we raise incredibly passive men. And then when these passive men come up, the women go, we don't want that either. And the answer is, well, what do you want? Because the sinful woman does not know what she wants. She is going after everything that is not fulfilling because she lives in a, in a world that is sinful. And so, is the answer. Fulfillment is only found in Christ alone and what He has called you to do. Turn your Bibles with me to Titus. Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. Older women, it says, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanders, nor slave to much wine. They are to teach what is good. And so train. We'll stop right there. Older women are to train. Training the younger women. What are they to train the younger women to do? What are the effects of the curse going to be? A messed up relationship with their husband and pain and sorrow with their kids, right? What are the older women to train the younger women to do? To work on the results of the curse, which are what? To actually love their husbands and love their children. Isn't that interesting how this plays out? It doesn't say to them, now Titus is not saying here, I mean, in, in, this, in the Titus here is not saying, hey, do this because this is kind of a good idea. He's saying literally do this because this is impacted by the fall. And here's what happens. Ladies, this urge to rebel needs to be replaced by a redeemed rebellion, a countercultural rebellion, one that embraces truth and your God-given role, one that teaches the next generations literally how to love their children. I mean, love them well. It doesn't say how to hover over them so they have no pain in this world. It says you need to teach your children how to love them because there's going to be times you don't love them. There's going to be times that they're going to be annoying to you and fill in the blank. But what do we need to teach? We need to teach them how to love their children and then love their husband. It doesn't say only love their lovable husband. All right, because trust me, ladies, if you're sitting here, boy, he's really pounding us. The scripture is doing this. Guys, we got it next week. All right, But as we walk through this here, this idea of teaching your, the younger women needing to learn how to love their children and love their husbands is huge. But now here's what can happen, though. Remember, we love to fall in both sides of the ditch. right? We love to run to one side here and we say, so what's the answer? We've got to run all the way over here and that's going to be the answer. And all we did is just run from one ditch to the next. And the error can happen like this. So we hear these things about loving our children and loving our husbands, and our, our mind takes us this. So instead of being Christ-centric, meaning focused on Him, we buy the lie that we need to be in some sort of way home-centric, and so we adopt a sense of false humility where instead of 
pointing ourselves to Christ and what He wants us to do. We focus on more of the home-centric activities, thinking that they are Christ-centric. So we focus on things like, as long as I learn how to make bread, as long as I learn how to soap make, as long as I learn all of these things about being a good woman, somehow that's going to make it, and we could care less about disciple-making, but we all know how to make all of these other little crafty things, which on the surface look great, but down deep inside, that's not what we've been called to. And if we're not careful, the Christian woman may start to think, because of the way it has just been given to us as a lie, that a prairie woman is a godly woman. A prairie woman is a prairie woman. A godly woman is a godly woman. You cannot have anything to do with the prairie and still be a godly woman. But what can happen is we think as long as we are a certain way or act a certain way, and we could care less about our disciple-making of our children... And so somehow we think, and guys, we got our own issues about work and everything else, but somehow, ladies, if you're not careful, you can think, because you have a nice home and it's put together well, somehow that means that you're doing it right. When literally the answer is, are you teaching your kids the things about the gospel? And if your home stinks or is dirty, at the end of the day, you will not be judged by God on that. You will be judged on how well are you communicating the truth to the next generation. Notice not once it says in here, teaching the younger women how to really put together a nice house. It teaches the younger women what? To love their kids. If that means loving your kids, if that means things don't get done that in your mind or your Instagram posts need you to have them get done, all right, those are lies. Pinterest is one of the greatest lies upon all women because it puts out an unrealistic view of womanhood. What womanhood has been called to do, and we see this in Titus as clear as day, wake up in the morning and saying, how do I best love my kids, is give them the thing that they need. And the thing that they need is getting ready for the future, the world to come, not this world. But we are so focused on this world. If you ever want to see this, watch, watch it play out around us. We literally see it playing out around us, all around us, when you go to, let's say, a ball game, and all of a sudden, someone there is struggling, a kid is struggling with something, they fall down and go boom, and immediately when they fall down and go boom, and they hurt themselves, they're holding their knee, the knee-jerk reaction is to all the moms to run out there. All right, the guy reaction, sadly, is many the opposite, all right? We'll give you an example of this, and this is my own sin struggleness. So... It was the October of when we moved up here, like 2020, and my daughter Hannah gets diagnosed with um, type 1 diabetes, all right? So they bring you back, and one of the things she had to do was like at 2 o'clock in the morning, had to give herself a shot or something like that, right? So I'm like, all right, I got this. We got this with Allison and everything. We're going to be good to go. First night comes around, 2 o'clock rolls around. Who wakes up? Allison is on this. What am I doing? One of us has to get sleep, right? All right, and so you're seeing our two sin natures. Allison is continually pacing, are we going to get the sugar right? Are we going to do this right or whatever? And I'm like, oh, they got, you know, like, they got, you're starting to see our own sin struggles. All right, dad gone, and so like what I do is I look down my nose, she just doesn't trust God enough or, or Hannah to wake up at the right time, and Allison's over there worrying, and we, the two of us are clashing here in our own sin struggles all the time, because in our minds, in, in Allison's mind, she's going, if I wake up, everything will be okay. If I don't wake up, it won't be okay, and I'm going, uh, using, God's got this, right, you know, like, and I'm just coasting, and I'll go back to sleep again. And we just see this play out over and over and over again in our lives. So what is the answer? The answer is this, a countercultural love for our children and for our husbands, a self-sacrificing love. 
Because knowing that obedience to these roles will not only impact you ladies physically, but cause you to live in a way that is mocked and rejected by the secular world. As you live how God has called you to do, Peter tells us all the time, you will be maligned, you will be mocked, you will be said, well, that's not the right way to do it. Well, you're listening to a world who is blind and lost in sin. And so I'm praying that I'm calling you ladies to a greater, a higher calling. And so we ask ourselves, what did we learn today? I want you to understand that the living in this sinful world for a woman is going to be one that is filled with sorrow all around you, but God has given even greater grace. Turn real quick to John 16, 21. John 16, 21. God and His grace here, seen on display. John 16, 21 says this. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. We see the effects of the fall there, don't we? Where do we see God's grace? It doesn't say, and she will stay groveling in that sorrow the rest of her days. No, it does not say that. When a woman gives birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for the joy that a human being has been born into this world. God in His great grace has allowed, as my mother has told me multiple times, that's why she has more than one child, that the curse even though it rests on them, there are moments where they will see joy that causes them to not have the effects of the curse continually nonstop, that there are moments of great joy. And I would argue even in these moments of great joy is to cause us to remember God's grace and mercy because none of us deserve any of this. The sheer fact that He gives joy after those moments are because what God has called women to, that there's actually joy in the things that cause them pain. So when God gives joy to a woman, what does this look like? True joy is found when they trust Christ, not self. Ladies, do you see that in your own lives? Where in the child rearing, it is easy to trust self that I'm going to somehow maneuver these kids where they need to be, but understanding that they are gods and gods alone. Trusting Christ, not self. Do we see the joy of pointing others to Him? Or are we so focused on the things that somehow, as the world tries to say, that are accomplishments? Do we find joy in the fulfillment of living and pursuing after Christ as the living water that He offers? Because despite the fall that God has given us, He has given us something even greater. Ephesians 2 tells us all this. While you were dead in your transgressions and sin, He made you alive. That's why ladies are call on us. Is we do not just leave us in Genesis 3 here. Where in Genesis 3 here, boy, it sounds pretty bad. Pain and pain, and you're going to desire something, but you're going to have more pain as he rules over you. You're like, woohoo, that's a, that's a word of you know, excitement right now, isn't it? But we're not looking to our husbands for the answer. We're not looking to our children for the answer. We're not looking to other women for the answer. We must look to Christ and Christ alone. And you may say, why is it this way? Because let's take a moment and pause. The radical feministic world is a bunch of women who are just angry at life. Let's just call it what it is. 
and they find no fulfillment in what they're pursuing after. And we'll talk, guys over here will just devil in you. It's because your own stinking fault that they're a bunch of angry women. And we'll get to that in a second, all right? But they're not off the hook because they're going after things that will not satisfy no matter what. And sadly, all we have done as Christian women, we are, you're, you're struggling with it's, it's to somehow just like put a Bible coding on that same type of anger and go right at it instead of saying, no, let's reject it all completely and pursue Christ and Christ alone and care more about disciple making than anything else. Because it is easier to do all the other things. It is easier to check all the other lists. I was reading a, a, a marriage book one time and it said, it is amazing how a group of ladies can sit around and just talk about how bad their husbands are and then one of them go, hey, I better get home real quick to make dinner for it. And you're like, wait a minute, how does that work? And we wrestle right in front of us with these sin struggles. So the answer is not look to your husband. The answer is not look to your children. It's to look to him and him alone, fully trusting him. Ladies, remembering this phrase, that everything God does is perfect and completely wise. The sin struggles you're going to struggle with is because it's going to show you you can't do it. You need Him. No matter how hard you try, you can't do it. That's why you must understand that everything He does is completely wise and the fittest means to accomplish everything He has decreed. Your literal salvation is worked out through these things. In raising children, you get to see no matter how hard you try, you can't do it. No matter how many ways you track them, no matter how many things you do, no matter how many times you tell them, don't do this or don't do that, God is the one who is in control of them. By worrying, you can't add one day to their life or remove one day. You must trust Him and Him alone. Now, what, are we, what do we do when we have texts like this? How is our response? Here is my prayer for you ladies. And I've used this example multiple times when, I've speak in, when you speak at camps. You know, these kids go to camp and they hear so many things and they're like, when I come home, we're going to just change the world in one moment, all right? So imagine, ladies, with me, we're on a boat. And if you want to make a course change, and we're going 60 miles an hour, you don't just go, let's do like a 90-degree turn. Because you go to one of those, we're not on the boat anymore, all right? The boat's going that way, and we're going this way. The Christian walk is one step at a time, one step of obedience at a time. What is God calling you to in this next step of obedience? What areas, when we were working through the text here, what areas did the Word of God trigger in your own heart? What little chords did twanged that were going on there? And what do we need to do to be more faithful as what God has called me to do? And I encourage you, before we leave here, to write that down and remember what are the things that God is pointing you towards. Because here's the thing. The church desperately needs godly women. I will repeat that again. The church desperately needs godly women. Without godly women, we will not have a group of ladies able to raise the next generation for the things of God. Just like we desperately need godly men, we desperately need this. And this is no small thing, ladies, that you have been called to. This is a high and lofty calling that He has called you to. Do not see it as something that is, that is downtrodden. Do not see it as something that is not worthy of all of your effort towards Him. Focus on Him and Him alone. We desperately need godly women. Because how women go, so goes the family. 
You are the helpmate that God has placed in this world to be that God-honoring helpmate, to help accomplish what He has called the church to. Just because there are roles that are more in front than roles that are more behind does not change the fact of the importance of those roles that God has called you to. Do not despise them. Do not get angry at them. Embrace what God has given you because only and only in that way will you find the fulfillment that He has called you to. Let me pray. Dear Holy Father, as we see the sin struggles that are poured out on womanhood, Help our hearts and our minds to be lifted way past those struggles to you and you alone, understanding what you have called women to. Dear Holy Father, help us. We desperately need it. We know the sin struggle will be great, but you are greater. Your mercy is greater. Help us now as we sing and we live our lives. In your Son's name we pray. Amen. If you could stand with us as we sing.